we have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. The whole purpose of keto is to try to control inflammation. But when you start loading yourself up with a bunch of these omega-6 fats and a bunch of these just low-quality oils, you're going to develop a problem. You're going to develop a very inflammatory problem. Within our body, one of the most researched mechanisms of inflammation and anti-inflammation, I guess if you want to call it that, is the consistent tug of war between omega-3s and omega-6s. Omega-3s are the fats that we get from fatty fish, the fats that we get from some plant sources, from grass-fed meat, from good quality supplementation even. Now then, omega-6s are the fats that we unfortunately directly and indirectly consume a ton of via soybean oil, via sunflower oil, you know, so a lot of these oils that we consume. And when you say omega-6, you mean the adultered one, the ones that are already um, rancid, correct? Correct, yeah. correct. Because yeah, there, there is, it's important to know it's a whole different rabbit hole that needs a whole different explanation. I talk about it a lot, actually. So you could go, you could, you could share a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, some omega-6s are good. Like, yeah. like we need omega-6s and we need certain prostaglandins, inflammatory responses to be activated via omega-6s. And then we've got things like conjugated linoleic acid, which CLA is a tremendous fat burning, you know, fat and it's tremendous hormone properties. And it's technically an omega-6. So I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Like, there are healthy omega-6s. It's when they're A, unstable, but B, just in abundance. We're supposed to be having small amounts of these omega-6s. So when you're out of balance, you should ideally be at like a one-to-one -one ratio of omega-3 to omega-6. Okay, that's what they say on paper. I'm going to talk about that in a second. We as Americans, and I don't know how big your international audience is, but I will at least say in the Western, uh, Western world, we're sitting about 16 to 20-ish to one, omega-6 to omega-3. So we're clearly way off. For someone to get a one-to-one -one ratio of omega-3 to omega-6, you really need to be living in like a Scandinavian country or be like a pescatarian. It's pretty difficult. So I would say if you strive for a four-to-one, you're in good shape. Like if you can strive for an omega-6, four, omega-3, one, I think you're making a really concerted effort and you're going to see tremendous results. Point is, when you're on a keto diet, you're consuming a ton of fats. So suddenly, that omega-6, omega-3 profile becomes infinitely more important because now what was 10% of your diet before being fats is now 70% of your diet. So it's so much easier for you to, for lack of a better term, screw up and have too much soybean oil, too much vegetable oil. And heaven forbid you have a bunch of these, you know, fat bombs that are being overmarketed right now that are actually made with low quality oils, right? It's like, that's the downside of keto getting popular is just like everything, companies are going to create hyper palatable products that you overconsume and make yourself just as unhealthy in a ketogenic state as you were in a non-ketogenic state. So that's how we can really end up inflamed. And I've talked to a lot of people before that start out feeling amazing on keto and then three, six months down the line, they feel worse than they did before. Albeit they lost weight, they feel worse. 
And like keto's ruining my life. I'm like, no, it's just because you're falling victim to the same exact things that you fell victim to before. You're chasing hyperpalatability, you're chasing convenience, and now you're inflamed. You're just inflamed with fat instead of inflamed with sugar. It's such an important message, Thomas, because uh, I believe vegetable oils are more damaging than sugar, more damaging than even cigarettes in some instances, because there's a great book out there. I don't know if you read it, but it's called The PEO Solution by uh, Professor Peskin, Brian Peskin. I've had him on the show, and he has a study in there that showed a plate of French fries that were fried in canola oil. So it's not keto, but it was fried in canola oil, resulted in 132 days of cell membrane inflammation meaning five minutes of pleasure, five months of cell membrane dysfunction. So I asked him about that. And when we, I sat down with him and I interviewed him, I said, I asked him, what's worse, uh, Professor Peskin? Is it smoking a cigarette or eating cooked vegetable oils? And then he, he turned the question back on me. He said, all right, Ben, what do you think the stats are for somebody who smokes two packs of cigarettes every single day for 25 years? What are their chances of getting lung cancer within those 25 years? And I said 15%, just guessing. And the answer was 16%. Not that high, right? And then he asked me, all right, what are the percentages of somebody getting heart disease or cancer by eating cooked vegetable oils every single day for 25 years? And I didn't know the answer. And his response was 86%. 86% versus the 16%. So it is keto friendly. And the thing about it is when we go to vet, well, uh, restaurants, they're everywhere. So what me and my girlfriend do, we, uh, I tell the waiter or waitress, hey, I'm allergic to vegetable oil. Do you have coconut oil or olive oil or butter? And 99% of the time, they have a better option. So that's what I do. And I think it goes a long way. Yeah, it's kind of a nuisance, especially when you're with a group, but your cells will thank you for it. Right, Thomas? Yes, totally. It's so funny you say that because people think they go out to eat and there's two problems. They go out to eat, they, they make a, a seemingly healthy decision going out to eat because they don't get the starches or whatever, and they still walk out of there feeling terrible. And the next day they feel terrible. Like, oh, I guess I ate more calories than I was. Like, actually, no. It's just you just shocked your body with a bunch of just terrible, terrible fats. And that's what's so tough about, you know, it's a simple palatability thing. Like you go to a restaurant, they're going to drench it in an oil because it does make it taste better, no matter what it is, whether it's a beautiful $75 steak or a, you know, $4 in an out burger. It's just, it just doesn't matter. Like it's still, if it's in that oil, like that's what's causing the problem. Like it's straight up. Like I would argue that like, if you could probably, well, okay, I'll, I'll take an example, like, um, like in an out burger, which really does use actual beef. I mean, some of the other ones are hard. It's a safe example. If they were to actually be cooking that burger alongside just, you know, ghee or lard or anything like it probably wouldn't be all that bad. But what is making that burger terrible is, well, first of all, it's probably grain fed garbage beef, which does have an effect, but it's, you know, they're always slabbing oil on that grill. So it's just so funny, like context, right? But if you made that same burger, even with grain fed meat at home and you were cooking it clean and you were using ghee or you were you would not feel the same way as you did if you ate one that was lidden with a bunch of vegetable oils and of course a lower quality salt. Like it's so crazy, the same compound, same overall foundational food in two different cooking settings makes you feel like dog crap and one makes you feel great. <laughs> Yeah, perfect example right there. It's, it's such a vast difference between the two oils. So I hope the listeners and viewers are understanding that we want to avoid those vegetable oils as much as possible. Um, I, I'm sure I'm getting them somewhere. I just, I'm not aware of it. <laughs> I'm doing my best to avoid them. Okay, let's stay on keto, actually. I have a question for you regarding keto. 
What are the three biggest mistakes you see? And you might have mentioned one already. What are the three big, biggest mistakes you see with people following this ketogenic diet? Yeah, uh, it, cha- it changes on, honestly all the time. So like someone someone out there is going to say, well, you did a video and you said this and this and this a couple of years ago. Well, it's because it's always changing. It's always evolving. Yeah, the first one is just like you said, it's it's the one I've talked about. It's that omega-6, omega-3 profile. Okay. And the next one is going to be uh, people freak out too much about protein. I'm definitely, and this is one I've had to eat my own words on because back early, yeah, you too. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's part of being, you know, you should always challenge your own hypothesis. Like anyone with half a brain in the scientific community knows that you want to, like you want to prove yourself wrong. That's like, that's what the whole purpose of a control, like you're trying to, here's control, here's normal, here's what the general populace thinks, let's prove it wrong. Well, in the case of your own self-experimentation and your own productivity and your own moving forward, you view yourself and your current beliefs as your control. And you should always be challenging them because that's how we grow. <laughs> like, what I believe today, if I'm doing research consistently to try to prove what I am doing today wrong, because that's how I can grow. And I can say, this worked, this did not. I rest my case on that. Point is, is that, you know, the next big thing, yeah, was protein. So it used to say, creating content early on in the keto community, it was all about fats. Why? Because most of the evidence was coming from the therapeutic ketogenic community, which was all about fats. And the practical application for 90% fat diets was absolutely totally legit but it's for people that have neurodegenerative diseases people that have epilepsy people that are really needing high levels of ketones now as we see most of the success of the ketogenic diet doesn't necessarily come from high levels of ketones it comes from moderate levels of ketones but more so the abstinence of sugar coming in and the gene activation and the different receptors that activate whenever we are deprived of dietary calories, which we can segue into fasting later on with that. So point is, is extra protein doesn't necessarily cause a problem. Extra protein, A, takes more calories to burn. So you actually can end up in more of a deficit that way by eating protein calories versus fat calories. But B, gluconeogenesis does not kick you out of keto unless you are consuming an acutely huge amount. In fact, it can actually support it and stabilize it. And spoiler alert by the time this airs and everything, but you, you, you might've seen on Instagram, I posted up like talking about my little experiment that I've been doing the last yeah. few weeks. Yeah. Well, basically, I mean, your, your members can kind of get a little spoiler alert on it when they see this ahead of time. But I mean, basically I went periodic low fat keto to kind of test this and doubled my protein intake and went low fat. And it wasn't carnivore because I had increased my veggie content tremendously. Point was, is tremendous results, tremendous blood work improved. I did not get knocked out of keto with even 300 grams of protein. So it was pretty, pretty wild. So then what happens is they don't want to have protein, so they overeat on the fats. Mm-hmm. And you and I both know, I mean, okay, nine calories per gram versus four calories per gram. It's hard to lose weight when you're consuming nine calories per gram coming from fat. So don't be afraid of the protein. It doesn't mean overdo it. And, you know, kind of old school word to the wise, always you know, drink a lot of water if you're consuming more protein because it's naturally a diuretic and you do want to also make sure you're taking care of your kidneys. Don't recommend that everyone does 300 grams of protein a day, by the way. That was for my experiment. And then I have to think kind of about the, what I would say the third mistake is right now, because you know what, you know what I will go ahead and I'll say that, I mean, it's kind of a common one, but it's when at the end of the day, still getting down to whole foods is going to be the most important thing. There's so much processed stuff out there and the act of processing food within the ketogenic world right now, that's again, what makes it so easy to overeat. And I don't want to just get on the calories in calories out train because we all know that that's not the end all be all. But at the end of the day, if you are consuming a lot more calories because you're consuming something that is delicious and processed, 
then yeah, it's going to be a heck of a lot easier to overeat. And coupled with that, I think the overuse of artificial sweeteners on the ketogenic diet is probably a big mistake too. Because we're starting to see that it ties in with the process, but we're seeing if people are consuming copious amounts of sucralose, aspartame, and yes, I hate to say it, even erythritol, stevia, and monk fruit, we are seeing potential cephalic insulin responses. And you can reference a study from 1990 and you can see, sure, there's some evidence of a cephalic insulin response, but our bodies and our brains are adapting. And if we are consistently giving ourselves stevia and consistently giving ourselves monk fruit, eventually your brain's going to connect the dots and it's going to say, oh, this is the new sugar. The point is, is anything that's giving you a big dopamine spike like that is probably doing something negative. Anyway. Sorry, I could go on forever than that. Yeah, no, it's it's great tip. So those the three things that Thomas just shared for the biggest mistakes at this current moment that he sees in the keto community is number one, eating too many of those inflammatory fats, the omega-6, having a dominant omega-6 to omega-3. Number two, don't worry about protein. It's really not that much of a concern like he, he once thought, myself included. And then number three, was uh, these sweeteners, artificial sweeteners. I, say, I see the same thing. And I, I was just on a call with my keto campers and they asked me, you know, what do you think about artificial sweeteners? And I say, well, I know aspartame and sucralose, that's going to destroy your gut bacteria. Let's stay away from that. Then they asked about what about the erythritol, the monk fruit, the stevia. And I said, you know, I think it's fine in moderation unless you're one of those people who have it and you just want more and more and more and you want sugar, you want carbs, and it's just creating that sugar addiction response. Then I say, hey, it's probably not a good idea for you to have it. So for me, I can have monk fruit, I can have stevia in moderation and I'm just fine. But somebody else, Thomas, you know, they'll have it and it just opens a whole new door to going in their pantry and eating whatever they see. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's usually quick. And my advice for people with that is if you feel like you have to have something sweet when you're on the ketogenic diet, it's better to have something sweet like stevia, monk fruit, like put in a little bit of yogurt or whatever and have it before bed. Because then that the cravings that you're going to get from it, you're not going to get them because you'll at least be sleeping. And it's, it's just if you're suffering with that and you feel like you really need it, you know, do it after dinner, like a typical dessert. Don't have it in the middle of the day because I will, I'm one of those people, like if I have something sweet, like if I have just some of these like keto cookies and stuff that are out there, which, you know, of course we all enjoy them from time to time, but like if I have one in the middle of the day, it's like, I want to raid the pantry 20 minutes later. Yeah, totally. Great tip. I, I want to add another one. I want to see your thought, hear your thoughts on it. And then we'll transition into fasting. Uh, the biggest mistake I see is there's several and it always changes, but the biggest one I see is staying in ketosis too long. Uh, because when we look at the history of this world, there's not one culture in the history of this world that's stuck with the same diet long-term. And when I say long-term, I mean maybe three to five years or longer. They always adapted by their environment, right? So we didn't have a tribe back then who were, they were in ketosis because keto is not a diet, it's a metabolic process. And they came across fruit, they came across honey, they would feast on that, they would get out of ketosis. So we know that there's no culture that's stuck with the same diet long-term. So with that being said, the, the way I teach it is keto flexing, teaching the body to get keto adapted, resetting the metabolism. If you don't have insulin resistance, if you don't have type 2 diabetes, let's start flexing because I see when people stay in ketosis for too long, their results start to really slow down. I actually see two things happen. I see the thyroid, T3, begin to lower, and then I also see dimply fat occur because uh, the way I see it is the body will want to preserve its fuel source, and if you only taught it to burn fat, it'll slow down its fuel source. So it'll actually insert water to slow that down. So I want to hear your thoughts on that. What do you think about staying in ketosis too long? Yeah, you're, I mean, you're talking to someone that, you know, I'll do two to three months keto and then I'll come off for 
two to four weeks, you know, or sometimes even longer, depending on sometimes I'll mess around with different goals. But yes, you're absolutely right. The goal is metabolic flexibility. And if you are getting your body fat adapted, then that's great. Okay. But that doesn't mean that that's the way that you want to be forever. Okay. If you go for too long, you can make yourself glucose intolerant, but not permanently. You'll make yourself glucose intolerant. And there's a, a cheat, the old cheat meal study. I did a kind of a debunk on it, but it was, uh, you know, talked about how, okay, like you put people on keto diet and then you give them carbs and suddenly their body rejects the glucose and it sends their blood sugar and insulin resistance, you know, sky high. Okay, well, that is true. And that is going to hold true for a period of time until your body adapts to glucose again. So the point is, is that you should be cycling in and out, in my opinion. However, I do think when you first start keto, you might want to give it three to six months of getting yourself into ketosis and truly developing that mitochondrial biogenesis to be fat adapted. And then after that, all these benefits happen. So it's like, okay, you're fat adapted. So your body's used to running on fat. Well, then what happens if you decide to shift gears all of a sudden and reduce your fat intake and increase carbohydrates for a little bit? Well, the body is going to say, well, I'm used to running on fats. So it's going to say, well, where's the fat? It's going to start pulling it from your body. And there you go. Now, all of a sudden, you just turn yourself into a fat incinerator. It's, so there's metabolic benefits and there's cosmetic benefits that come with cycling in and out of it. We're not doing ketosis to be dogmatic. That's what I'm upset with with the industry is I would say that's actually the big mistake is like we're all – don't be myopic and don't be dogmatic about this. It's not like we're not here to say that keto is the only way. Keto is a tool and it is a metabolic pathway that allows us to become better people. And if the science shows next week that you know ketosis is amazing but we can use leverage it to, to use this dietary strategy for more longevity, then we need to be open to that. So I'm 100% with you, man. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.